Natalie Bensavanga. And I'm Tony Norman. And this is In Other News, the podcast that is not afraid to go there. Where? Anywhere the story takes us. You concerned about speaking your mind? Me? Yeah, right. You? Ha! <laughs> Let's go, Nat. Hello, and welcome to In Other News. I'm your co-host, Natalie Bensavanga. And I'm Tony Norman, and it's Women's History Month. Thank did you. you. Know that, Natalie? Thank you for did saying you know that? that. I did. I did. And so, guess what? We're going to make that the real focus here for today's hot takes. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because, as you know, things are going super well for women or for people that identify mm -hmm. as women um, and gender expansive folks. We've seen all kinds of great things happening, you know, between abortion rights being dismantled and trans rights being dismantled and all different types of issues. And now it's getting kind of personal. Yes, it is. Now they're going after Fox News in particular. Giselle Which Fetterman. Which is where I get all my news from. Well, I know that's news. where you get all your news from. That's why you're so in the know about everything. Um, but, you know, they've come after Giselle Fetterman. Right. And they're creating her out to be this, like, villain in media. And so I thought, what a great topic for Women's History Month. So let's discuss. Right. Um, Fox News in particular mm -hmm. and uh, Tucker Carlson mm. and Candace Owen mm. have been going in hard on Giselle Fetterman and uh, Dr. Biden yes. um, saying that they are the blame for their husband's um, political and medical misfortunes. It's outrageous. And uh, They called them monsters, I think. Right, right. Mm -hmm. um, there was a, a column in the Washington Post which mm -hmm. laid this all out mm -hmm. and showed how um, Fox News and the right wing, um, you know, um, opinion sphere mm -hmm. has just gone absolutely nuts and has... It's now using women as the foils in all of our politics. Which has never happened before. We've Not never been all. blamed for anything. So <laughs> it's silly to me that this would be a thing. No, what I find really fascinating about this whole narrative is just how lazy it is. It is. You know, I mean, to, to say that um, Giselle Fetterman and, and Dr. Jill Biden and and other women uh, would have this kind of level of power <laughs> um, over not only their husband's political careers, but their husband's health is fascinating to me. Um, and, and really what they're trying to get at is they're using this as a way to say, Fetterman is unfit to serve. Biden is unfit to serve. Right. You shouldn't be voting for these men. And that's really what this is. This is just an angle on a suggestion of let's tell people who to vote for. Right, right. And it's old-fashioned ableism oh. and ageism yes. and, and uh, misogyny mm -hmm. and sexism all wrapped into one. Uh, they're trying to make it respectable, you yes. know, instead of attacking those men mm -hmm. um, for their age or their disability, mm -hmm. it's like attack the women in their lives yeah. uh, in a way that they would never attack, um, you know, the men uh, mm -hmm. in those in those circumstances. Well, and I also found it interesting they were only attacking um, left wing right. wives. You know, no one was going after Melania Trump right. when when. You know, President Trump was in in power right. for any of his issues, and there are right. few. Family was off uh, limits. Family in those was days. off limits, but suddenly <laughs> family is very much, you know, on the table. And so it's it's worth noting yet again that why while women and gender expansive people are fighting literally just for their lives and for this bodily autonomy, mm -hmm. that they're also being skewered in a very public way, and it just feels really icky right. and gross to me right. and unnecessary. But right. yet here we are. Well, because we're in Women's History. That's history right. Month. History Month. Thank history you, Tony. Month. There we go. <laughs> hey, I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> the best. And speaking of icky 
and unnecessary. Uh, we have to give a little train derailment update Ooh. with what's been going on in East Palestine. And this was fun. Um, Bloomberg reported that Norfolk Southern is being accused of trying to destroy the evidence of the wow. Ohio wreck. And, and just when you think this can't get any stranger mm. or more, you know, disgusting or disturbing. It's like, no, it's like, hold my beer, you know, <laughs> like let's, let's just jump right in and, um, and destroy the evidence. So basically what Norfolk wants to do, according to the lawyers, they want to Norfolk Southern informed them last week that it planned to move the 11 mm -hmm. rail cars uh, by March one, which mm -hmm. was yesterday as at the time of this recording and would make them available for inspection for only two days. So that means by the end of this week, theoretically those those cars are going to be gone. And so the two sides agreed Monday uh, earlier in the week to add an extra day for residents' lawyers extra day. to inspect the wreckage. Isn't that generous? Well, I know plenty of lawyers who also have degrees in chemistry who can get in there <laughs> and really, really do a good job. Yeah, it's ridiculous. This is ridiculous. And Adam Gomez, a lawyer for East Palestine residents, uh, said in a court filing that it was just common sense to keep the wreckage uh, where it is for now, because these communities have questions and we need the evidence to answer them. So what I find notable here is, once again, corporations are not going to just do the right thing unless those corporations are, let's say, forced by mm -hmm. government regulations, regulations put in place by the people mm -hmm. to do the right thing. And interestingly enough, in the same time frame, PA lawmakers are actually working on something just like that. It's called the Railway Safety Act of 2023, and it was actually right. bipartisan. And it's going to enhance safety procedures with trains carrying ha hazardous materials, requiring companies about what they transport, and it's going to require a qualified conductor and a qualified engineer on every train, which you would think this would be common sense. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. And how this uh, has become a bipartisan issue is really quite impressive yes. because people are starting to realize that these trains um, that are carrying lethal loads of chemicals and various products, you know, cut a swath right through rural America, so-called Trump country, mm -hmm. um, Republican country. And I think the Republicans, the GOP is starting to realize that, hey, why are we cutting our own throats? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is something we can actually do to advance um, the safety and health of our constituents in alliance with the Democrats. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is this is you know this is not a jump ball. This right. is like something that we can we can both do and, and benefit from. Absolutely, and really, the key word coming back to all of this is this idea of investment yeah. in our communities, investment in ourselves. And, you know, uh, Governor Shapiro, now that he has, you know, taken the reins, he's actually working on making one of his campaign promises come to life in that exact space. He's talking for his first budget to call for neighborhood neighborhood investment, and he's mm -hmm. delivering a budget uh, next week to the General Assembly and proposing to double the amount since Governor Wolf. So starting conversation around $15 million, which isn't a ton of money, but it's a start. Right, right. It's 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 a conversation opener, but we're gonna need triple that, four mm -hmm. times that to mm -hmm. be realistic. And uh, and I know um, Republicans in particular don't like to talk about money, but this well, is one of those areas. Well, they do when they're giving uh, tax breaks well, to billionaires. Of course, of I mean, course, then because, it's fine. You know, <laughs> then it's just you know fairness. Yeah, exactly, point, exactly. You know, so um, yeah, I think that this is uh, we're we're finally going in the same direction together, down the yeah. same. Railroad tracks. Oh, I like that. Parallel railroad tracks. And 
See, you know, you're you such a good writer, Tony. That's what it is. <laughs> oh, I'm a hack. But, you know, some some things are just obvious. Well, all of this, I think, sounds important and good, which mm. is a word that we don't get to talk about much when we're discussing politics is this idea of good for the greater mm -hmm. good, you right. know? And so I'm looking forward um, to drilling down in our next segment with Bhavani Patel, who talk about wanting to do something for the greater good is sitting on the Edgewood Borough Council. And we're going to discuss with her what investment in community means, especially mm. as it relates to public safety. So stay tuned. You're listening to In Other News. Thanks for joining us. All right, we are drilling down today with Bhavani Patel. I've known her in the community now for a few years and have had the pleasure of interviewing her before, but I know, Tony, she's a big fan of yours as wow. well. Wow, she's the one, huh? She <laughs> she's your wow. one fan, Tony. <laughs> well, I like everything I've heard about her. Yes. And uh, you're not easily impressed, but you seem to be very impressed with her. I am. So I'm looking forward to, to meeting with her and talking. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation as well. And you're also new to the Edgewood Borough Council, which is very exciting. I also read that you're the very first woman of color to sit on the council. So, hey, Women's History <laughs> Month. We want to talk a little bit about your journey, Bhavani. So thanks They're so much for joining over. us. Yes, we're taking over. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here with both of you. We're so glad to have you. So share with us a little bit about your trajectory and how you landed at uh, the council. Yeah, so I've been serving on council for about a year and three months now. Um, so an Edgewood resident, I think my family and I have been there for about six to seven years now. And so um, for me, serving on council um, as a young woman of color, uh, it's, it's been quite a journey. I mean, it's a, it's a lovely community. Um, uh, we're surrounded by um, Wilkinsburg, Braddock, uh, Rankin, North Braddock. So it's a, it's a really lovely uh, region. Um, there's a lot of diversity and a lot of different um, people of different backgrounds. And so... For me, serving on council um, and sort of coming from the experiences that I do being raised by a single parent, um, my family's originally from India, I was born in the States and grew up in Monroeville, there's sort of this nuanced um, history and, and sort of um, lens that I think I, I bring to council and I try to incorporate that in the work that I do and the advocacy that I do. And so, you know, one of the key things that I've been um, sort of thinking about recently, especially, is just gun violence. and. Um, sort of the challenges surrounding uh, in our surrounding areas and how can Edgewood and how can I use my role in the community to bring people together? Um, you know, a lot of these things, we oftentimes think about them from legislative standpoints, but um, a lot of it is just understanding that at the end of the day, we're human um, and that being able to have that human connection um, and bring empathy uh, and recognize that these instances can be very traumatic and that people are looking for ways to come together. Um, and so sometimes it's just being the, the convener and being somebody that's willing to offer an ear and listen. Um, and so that's something that's been um, a big focus for me recently. Because mm. uh, Edgewood itself is not um, a, a, t a community that we typically think about as being um, under the scourge of gun violence. I, I don't think that it is. I mean, it's the surrounding communities. And I wonder, do you find yourself sort of... Um, going back and forth into those communities and talking to people in those communities to see what their needs are and what their wants are. And, and do you sort of, does that inform your own politics in, in Edgewood? Yeah, that's such a great question. Uh, and that is very true. So Edgewood, typically we're not, you know, we don't see a lot of gun violence challenges in our community, but certainly with our neighbors, um, that is something that's, it's, it's quite prevalent. And so uh, in terms of, um, 
one thing that is we recently actually just held a gun violence forum in, in Edgewood at the local Presbyterian mm. church. And it was just remarkable to see so many residents from Edgewood wanting to come and, and, and sort of mingle and sort of mm. provide that sense of support. You know, we had great, great, great representation from the Hoop Alliance. We had representation from the Greater Rally Gun uh, Greater Valley Coalition Against Violence, Gun Violence there as well, Ceasefire PA. Um, and so it was an instance, I think, of bringing people together, being able to start a conversation about this, create interpersonal sort of connections and figure out, you know, we're seeing this. What can I do to to offer assistance? What can I do to be a part of this conversation and provide assistance to our neighbors? And so, so much of that also is just realizing that you know our borders are fluid. Uh, you know, th- right. this affects all of us, and we're all in this together. That's right. That's right. Yeah. When I think about your lived experience, and um, when we're talking about sitting at intersections, you know, this idea about reaching across, whether it's train tracks or invisible boundaries. Is that something that was instilled in you because you grew up um, as a child of immigrants? That is something that's been so central to my upbringing. It's been central to my life. Um, you know, had it not been for um, the the individuals that came to my mom's aid whenever she was raising my brother and I as a single mother, especially with childcare. I mean, that's such a big conversation that we're already facing issues with right now. And it's, it's historically been a challenge, especially for single um, parent households. It, it, it truly was people of different communities and backgrounds coming to help um, my mother get through those days. And it's something that it's a lesson that I've grown up with. Um, and so to me, that really is just my lens and the, the way in which I see the world. Um, and I'm really fortunate to be able to sort of have that um, upbringing. Um, I'm grateful for, you know, my mother thinking about sort of Women's History Month. You know, that's it's such a great example for me to have and to be able to cultivate that and, and include that in the work that I do. What are the the top issues as far as you're concerned, um, not only in Edgewood, but, you know, in the greater um, metropolitan Pittsburgh community? What are some of the issues that you, you would like to drill down on, if you could? Right now, I mean, I think just sort of, you know, I, I spend time reading the news and sort of being in the community. I serve on several different boards and, and organizations. And I think Truly, public safety is something right now that is an, mm-hmm. is a big challenge, and the reason why I say that it's 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 specifically something that I'm focusing on right now because it's you know the minute we as residents as people don't feel safe, um, it impacts every aspect of our lives. Right? Students walk into school, they're fearful of you know potential outcomes. It becomes right. difficult to focus. You can't necessarily hone in on your studies, and you know children and our kids are oftentimes dealing with other challenges as well. And then this is sort of perpetuating something greater. Uh, Parents are afraid. Parents Mm -hmm. don't know sometimes what the outcome can be. Small businesses are dealing with these challenges, right? Um, The minute something happens in a community, foot traffic starts to go down. What are small businesses? What are the implications of that? Um, Housing prices, it's, it's all tied in together. And I think the root of so much of that is public safety and having a conversation around gun violence and thinking about as a community, what can we do around that? Right. Yeah, and right. we, we talked a little bit about how Shapiro, uh, he, he's making good on his campaign promises about investing in our communities to the tunes of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think of investing in communities in terms of public safety, where does that investment go? So recently I've been, like I said, I, I've been a part of some organizations um, and have become pretty familiar with the work that they're doing, the phenomenal work that they're doing. One of the organizations is the Hoop Alliance, um, as well as the Greater Valley Coalition Against Gun Violence. Um, and, and there are several different other organizations. So much of this, I think, is recognizing that this is a lot of interpersonal work. It's important to have familiarity in communities when you go into them. 
and that oftentimes stopping instances of violence before they become a 911 call, uh, it needs to come from trusted voices in the community, residents who are familiar faces and who understand the sort of uh, histories of neighborhoods and who lives where and um, you know who's usually walking in the streets, right? There's a sense of trust, I think, that um, organizations that are community-oriented like that have. And to be able to facilitate the work, the work that they do, I think, is certainly um, foundational to succeeding um, in, in preventing um, violence and gun violence. The other thing that I think is so central, especially thinking about right now, I mean, we had a shooting in McKeesport yesterday. Um, yeah, quite tragic. Yeah. It's absolutely tragic. And I was I was reading in it. Um, one of the things was that there was a total of four homicides mm-hmm. last year and all of 2022. And I think that the city of McKeesport is dealing with five and we're we're in March. Um, and so I think that as we start to see the challenges surrounding this, one of the things that I think we certainly need to think about is the role of law enforcement and police officers and hiring and making sure that um, that is happening. Um, there are certain instances that I think police officers and law enforcement are well positioned to um, address that sometimes community organiza- organizations necessarily can't do. And so I think that also needs to be um a central part of the conversation, but also simultaneously acknowledging that, again, we've seen, tra- you know, tragedies and um, abuse of power when it comes to police officers, and but simultaneously recognizing that it is something that is a necessity in our communities. Right, right. Um, at this point um, in your political career, do you see public safety becoming a, a bigger um, focus for you as you move from, I mean, you're probably going to not stay where you are. You're going to move to higher office or at least look at higher office and will public safety um, be a part of your portfolio? And, and um, what do you imagine? The way that I think about it, I mean, I, for me, um, so much of being a public servant, somebody like serving in local office, I think is being responsive to key issues that you're seeing in your community. Mm-hmm. And right now in this instance, I saw that my neighbors were hurting Um reading the headlines in, in, in the news, you, you know, you, there's sort of this calling to be able to do something about it. You know, Mm -hmm. you're not a leader just in certain aspects of your life. You're, you try to lead and and be a servant and it's a, it's a constant, right? And the way that I see it is at at the moment, that's, you know, sort of an issue that I've, um, I try to do my part. Is it something that I, you know, I hope that we are able to address it and it, you know, mitigate it. Have you received any pushback on that because there are a lot of people that would say investing in more police is not the answer. We need to be investing in other aspects of our community, especially when you're dealing with communities right around the corner that have, you know, negative experiences more often Mm -hmm. than not with the local police. Is that something that you've uh, had to address or that um, your constituents have brought up to you? Yeah, so it's uh, it's been interesting, especially recently, just being a part of a lot of conversations, um, particularly the Greater um, Valley Coalition Against Gun Violence. There's a lot of sort of partners at the table. One thing that oftentimes does come up is that law enforcement is necessary and that we should be hiring officers and there should be um, that presence, but simultaneously recognizing that we need to be investing in other mechanisms um, to make sure that we're investing in communities, uplifting, sort of thinking about preventative measures um, so that we don't get to a point where we're always relying on our officers um, for every instance, right? Um, But at the moment, I mean, I've mostly been a part of conversations where people are saying that 
with the increases that we're seeing, with the challenges that we're seeing that, you know, it's sort of, I think about it in terms of, you know, preventative measures. And then when we're in a position where we actually need to like address this spot on, I think that there is this sort of feeling of urgency um, in the community. I would like to have you come back and drill down even further um, discussing the role of police and uh, community activists and how can they simultaneously exist if they can and see where we can all get along. We can all get along, (laughs) Tony says. I'm a firm believer (laughs) that yes, we can um, all get along. And I think that there's multiple uh, solutions at the table that can coexist together. And I think that you know, there was some talk of sort of the political ideology around this. And I think that that's something that I firmly believe is that there are, it's a philosophy, right? That we can have multiple solutions and they can, they can coexist at the table. It's not one or the other. It's not picking between two things. It's saying that both of these things are a necessity. Um, the other thing is, you know, again, thinking about it from a community focused standpoint and my positioning, one of the things that we're really going to be working towards is organizing stop the bleed trainings and particularly mm-hmm. thinking about working with our students the Woodland Hill School District. So I'm currently in the process of um, organizing some of that and trying to get as many trainings that we can um, make available to students and teachers and other folks in the community. And it's not just only about the training. It's also about once we do this training, we're facilitating a conversation. Um, and, you know, we're, we're sort of thinking about the broader um, meaning of this training in our community and how do we expand and have conversations and sort of come together um, and, and be there for one another. Well, we appreciate your perspective and taking the time to share it with us. Is there any kind of follow-up item? You know, you're talking about the Hoop Alliance and and Stop the Bleed. Are there things that people can get involved in or when is your next meeting? Those sort of things that people can share with, that you can share Absolutely. with Absolutely. So um, I, again, the Greater um, Community Against Gun Violence Prevention. So that organization meets once a month and I'm happy to provide information about that. I believe it's the third um, Tuesday of every month from at 6.30 the Hoop Alliance, um, Kathy Jo Welsh has been leading that effort. Um, I'm sure that, you know, there are different ways to get involved with the organization, the work that they're doing. And then something that I said that I'll be spearheading is Stop the Bleed um, training. So if anybody is interested in getting involved with that, I'm happy to help um, facilitate, connect um, to the right people to, to make that resource available for our community. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Bhavani. And we appreciate you and stay tuned for our final thoughts. Thank you. You're listening to In Other News. Thanks for tuning in. Well, that was such a wonderful conversation with Bhavani. Yeah. yeah, she's amazing. And, you know, now is that we're coming into this concept around final thoughts. I've got a lot of thoughts lately, Tony, <sighs> around what's been going on in the media landscape at the national level and how that's actually creating an implication, right? We're talking about public safety. Well, it all starts with conversation. And then mm-hmm. conversation turns into you know, habits and action items, and those turn into eventually policy. And so what people say in media mm-hmm. matters. And Rhetoric know, matters. Rhetoric matters. We can have a conversation like we just did where mm-hmm. maybe we're all looking at it from a different perspective, but it's all based in reality mm-hmm. and, and evidence-based facts, right? So there's what a real- What a concept. What a concept. <laughs> but not everyone subscribes to that, Tony. Mm, yeah, yeah. So- and and one news outlet really just comes to I mind. That could and be. I don't know. I'm thinking it's probably Fox News. And yes, there is a huge defamation lawsuit going on right 1. now. 1.6 billion dollars, which is wild, between Fox Corporation and Dominion Voting Systems. Would you like to share with people that may not know what this is about and really how this impacts all of us, no matter where you live? In 2020, President Trump 
lost the election. He did? Fair and square, <laughs> believe it or not. I do believe um, that. But unfortunately, um, he would not take no for an answer. Mm -hmm. And he enlisted the aid of uh, phalanx of flunkies and various uh, credulous people mm -hmm. who unfortunately have been able to convince a large swath yeah. of viewers on Fox News that the election was stolen. And this is and, so dangerous. Right. And mm -hmm. the number one villain has been Dominion Voting Systems, mm -hmm. which they accuse of uh, stealing the election. Mm. And so the problem is, is that all sorts of uh, ridiculous people have been going on Fox News and making these charges that Dominion stole the election. Without any evidence. Without any evidence. There mm -hmm. is no evidence that mm -hmm. that has happened. But Fox News has provided this platform, um, this libelous platform mm -hmm. uh, against Dominion voting systems. And now they have to pay. I mean, they've been taken to court and it looks like they may have to pony up as much as $1.6 billion. Which is fascinating to me because one, this just doesn't happen. I mean, it's really hard to prove something like this right. in court normally, but some legal experts are saying that this is the, or one of the strongest defamation mm -hmm. suits ever seen. So we're actually watching history in a way being made as it pertains to how the public and the media relate. And what's so frustrating about all of this is, you know, watching Fox News over the years, they just say whatever they want, right? right? I mean, this goes back to earlier in our conversation around Giselle and, and uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Biden. And they just say whatever they want about whoever they want without any kind of repercussion, any kind of consequence, which is certainly not real journalism because real journalism, you get vetted, right? You get right. called on the carpet by your editor and they say, where did you get this? Where did this come from? Where's mm -hmm. your source? None of that really seems to happen or matter <laughs> at Fox. So in your wildest dreams, Tony, what do you think could happen as a result? When you have Rupert Murdoch, the chairman of Fox News, the owner, the creator mm -hmm. of Fox News, mm -hmm. say in a deposition um, that he could have done more mm. to, um, to address the falsehoods that were being spewed on the air, mm -hmm. on his air, mm -hmm. and he didn't. And that um, he acknowledges that you know he knows that these, um, these allegations against Dominion are not true, yet they were still platformed at Fox News. Man, that is really the definition of a lost lawsuit. Well, and the reality is this has such far-reaching implications, right? Because we just talked about how rhetoric matters. It translates into how people participate in their democracy and in mm -hmm. their republic. And, you know, the January 6th insurrection is a huge piece of this puzzle. And recently, uh, I just read this in the uh, the Pittsburgh Union Progress, the, the strike paper, that a co-defendant of the violent capital rioter from Shaler, right here in our backyard, was just sentenced to 32 months in federal prison for their participation in the January 6th insurrection. So this hits home right in our own backyard. And I think that's really important to note because sometimes we hear these sort of big lofty things that are happening in the ether, but this is impacting people right here in Pittsburgh and in the surrounding area. Pennsylvania, uh, I believe, is either the second or third um, state, um, biggest state to contribute yes. um, folks to the, you know, the January 6th insurrection. Yes. And so, um, yeah, it, it really does affect um, the people uh, in this community and across across the Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. And it's people, well, we have the right to at least know 
what is going on and what is actually happening. So I give Dominion a lot of credit and anyone else that's going to be bringing <laughs> lawsuits. Oh, because, yes. There are, you know, there are other media, uh, other voting companies that, are, you know, there's a line forming. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there is a line forming. And I think all of this is really important. We have to hold those in power accountable for what they say mm -hmm. and what they do. No one is above the law. So as we wrap this up, you know, Tony, I just wanted to uh, take a moment to Talk about your column because you really bring, you know, that lens of equity to everything that you do and and really calling out truth to power. So who do you have on uh, coming up for next Pittsburgh and how are things going with your column? Oh, things are going fine. And right. I, I have uh, actually this is a fun piece that's oh, coming up. Not so piece. heavy. Good. Um, Clara Kent, mm -hmm. um, the uh, local performer and an all around uh, great personality. Uh, has a um, a show on WYEP on Friday nights um, from six to eight p.m. and I thought it would be a good time to showcase um, the 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 music that she will be showcasing music from the African diaspora you know uh, R and B and jazz and hip hop and all of these things and local um, folks are spot spotlit on her show so and I just love this this DJ you know Clara Kent you know. Uh, she's a star. That's awesome. Well, I so appreciate you sharing that with us. And also, just as a fun aside, you know, we did a live show at Cafe Momentum mm -hmm. last week, and they are officially open. So you yeah. go and make reservations, and we'll have a link for how you can do that and support that great space and the work that they're doing um, to help our kids in our communities. And, you know, we're also going to have some action items around the Hoop Alliance and the other wonderful things that Bhavani Patel was chatting about earlier. So. Good. Until next time, everybody, you know, please take care of yourselves and each other. And I'm going to go check out Tony's column. In Other News is a presentation of Next Pittsburgh and is proudly produced by us, along with our amazing team, Emma Honcharski and Margie Ruttenberg. Our editor is Sorgatron Media and original music by Jack Swing. And if you enjoyed what you heard, please like and share this episode and rate and review us wherever you're listening. It really helps us grow. And if you're listening on the Next Pittsburgh website, take a minute to take a look around to learn more about all the cool stuff happening in our hometown.